Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. This is the true story of a successful suburban businesswoman, her supportive, hardworking husband, and the bizarre secret life she keeps hidden in their home. It's a story of unchecked desires. She did have sex with, with all three men. Emotional greed. She wanted it all. She wanted her house, she wanted the business, and she wanted her lover. And deadly deception. In my line of work, I've come to expect that anyone is pretty much capable of doing anything. Beware. Extreme passion can lead to shocking consequences. It's 1998 in Nashville, Tennessee. Home of honky-tonks, rich southern food, and most of all, music. Brentwood is an affluent suburb of Nashville, known for its stately subdivisions and majestic homes. The neighborhood where they lived has always been described as an upscale neighborhood. Martha and Jeffrey Freeman have been married for three years when they move into the neighborhood. They're successful professionals with no children. Martha had nice, shiny, dark brown hair and really pretty brown eyes. She was friendly. If you saw her outside or that, she'd always wave and say hi. We all thought she was just an average person like us. While Martha is an extrovert, her husband Jeffrey compliments her with his quiet, reserved presence. Jeffrey Freeman was an extremely gentle person, someone who went to church regularly every Sunday. He was just your kind of all-around good guy. The couple have the kind of life that many people dream of stable and comfortable. They seem to be happy together. I didn't see them fighting or arguing with each other. Martha and Jeff's relationship seemed friendly and relaxed. I would see them out in their yard kind of working together. Martha eventually starts her own small business a security firm called Resifax. Resifax was Martha's business, and she ran it from home. She seemed to be a pretty smart businesswoman. The business grew. Resifax does background checks for employment or for apartment complexes, things of that nature. She just struck me as very work-orientated, almost a workaholic. And the hard work pays off. Within a few years, the company expands and opens an office in town. In 2003, Jeff leaves his job and joins Martha in the business. They make a great team. I remember her telling me how well it was working out with the two of them working together, that Jeff brought a different perspective to things. As the business takes off, Martha and Jeff seem to be right on track for even more success. She and Jeff actually got an award from the city 
from being the best new little company of the year or something like that. So it sounded like a pretty nice, well-organized, professional running small business. But with Jeff and Martha investing all their time into the business, they begin to neglect their marriage. Soon, Martha and Jeff's roles start to shift. Now he's the one consumed with work. He was rarely at home. If you wanted to find Jeffrey, I assume you found him at work. It was Jeff going and doing the daily work. Martha seems to lose interest in the business and begins to spend more time at home. At some point, Jeffrey began running the business and Martha stopped even going. She started doing other things. For reasons no one understands, Martha's become unhappy and withdrawn. Martha's complete disinterest in the business was such a 180 from the fact that she had started this and, and it was her business, Resifax. So it's kind of telling that when she lost interest, it was complete, which meant that outside of her house, she really didn't have a life. Some of her employees, some of her friends knew that she had something that was bothering her and never knew what it was. After months of pulling away from friends, family, and work, Martha finally decides to take action. She goes to a doctor and gets a diagnosis. I found that Martha had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder is really the new phrase for what we've classically known as manic depression. And everybody knows what depression is. It's beyond sadness and hopelessness. The problem is that this sort of person can actually go to the other end of the spectrum where they suffer from complete mania. They can swing from one to the other very quickly and unpredictably. But having a name for her problem doesn't make everything better. Martha is clearly on the depressive side of the disorder and continues to distance herself from the people around her. She's told me that she was on medication for her condition. She spent many, many hours in that house doing what I don't know. Jeff doesn't know how to handle his distant wife. He does his best to be there for her through these trying times, but Martha's emotional state only worsens, even with medication. All Jeff can do is try to be supportive and hope for the best. Their once happy marriage is being severely strained, and it all comes to a head on July 4th, 2004, at a fireworks event. She and Jeffrey were gonna go downtown for the 4th of July celebration, and we're actually gonna rent a room and experience the celebration as it happened in the city. There was an argument. Jeffrey decided that he was just gonna go home. And she decided, no, she was going to stay and do what they set out to do. So Jeffrey went home, and Martha stayed. I think she wanted to do something exciting. Perhaps she wanted to do something to get back at Jeffrey. Martha's looking for a good time. And soon enough, she finds a group of three young men that will give her the distraction and attention she needs. She goes downtown, and she comes across several male Hispanics. She just asked them to like to come to her room. She rented a hotel room and met some strangers on the street, and they were from Mexico, and they went back to the hotel room and partied. And what happens next seems even stranger. 
For the normally conventional Martha, her night on the town quickly becomes an intense erotic experience. She's breaking boundaries, and she's high on the excitement of the night. She went back up to the room, and she did have sex with all three men. That 4th of July episode was really a turning point. Clearly, Martha is having one of her manic episodes. Everyone's in party mode, but she takes it to an extreme. Sometimes when people have manic episodes, this can be exhibited in drinking or drug use, but also hypersexuality. And this was a whole new experience in terms of not just one guy, a random man she met on the street, but three guys. And when she has sex with all three of them, it's almost like uncorking genie in the bottle. But it turns out this isn't going to be a one-night stand. At the end of the sex bonanza, Martha decides to set her sights on one of the three men, Rafael de Jesus Roca Perez. I think maybe Martha Freeman watched too much television. When you're married to another man, who would go downtown, meet three strangers, have sex with all three of them to basically pick out the one she liked better? She pretty much test drove all the men and then decided on the one that she wanted to be with. Martha Freeman has just broken out of her middle-class morality to act out her sexual fantasies with a group of complete strangers. She has a deep emotional need for excitement and pleasure, but no one can imagine the shocking violence her erotic desires will eventually unleash. It's July 2004. After a blowout fight with her husband at a 4th of July party, an emotionally distraught Martha Freeman brings three young men back to her hotel room for a night of passion. She did have the room at the hotel. The men were there. She did have sex with, with all three men. And how long they stayed or how that went on, I don't know. And she chooses one of them to keep as her lover. Martha Freeman was living a fantasy, clearly by the way that she met Mr. Roca Perez. After their 4th of July encounter, Martha begins spending much of her free time with a fit, muscular Raphael. They meet over the course of the next month at a local hotel. The two seem like an unlikely match. She's a married suburban business owner, and her Latin lover is new to this country and speaks very little English. Mr. Roca Perez was a, a stocky, muscular, built man. He seemed uh, younger uh, than Martha, looked quite a bit younger than her. When she falls for one of these three men, Raphael, he is as different from her husband as night and day. Raphael, he had spice to her life. He is foreign, he is exciting, he's adventurous. Mr. Roca Perez did not speak much English. Martha Freeman did not speak Spanish. Based on the relationship, I don't know how much talking they did. It was all about sex. Meanwhile, things at home with Jeff go downhill fast. Martha is no longer interested in spending time with her husband. She becomes more distant from him during the limited time they are together. Martha said that, you know, their relationship was rocky. That was the phrase that she would use. Her mind is on other things. 
I don't know what her situation with her husband was prior to that, but I think her relationship with Mr. Roca Perez was totally about sex. But Martha isn't about to tell her husband about her wild, flagrant cheating. Instead, she plays on Jeff's sympathy and says that with her recent bipolar diagnosis, she needs some time to herself. I just started not seeing Martha around. I, I saw Jeff in and out, you know, and uh, it wasn't until Christmas of 2004, I said to my husband, I haven't seen Martha for months. I wonder where she's at. What no one realizes is that Martha has actually moved out of the Freeman family home. We learned that Martha moved out in the email that she sent to us and when she was talking about how she was on medication and um, uh, bipolar. That's when she decided to, quote, move out or go her own way or try to find herself. I think that Martha Freeman used her bipolar diagnosis as a crutch. Lots of people have been diagnosed with mental illnesses, and they function quite fine as long as they're on the correct medication and take their medication. Jeff isn't happy about the situation, but he wants to be supportive. He assumes Martha just needs some time to herself to deal with her condition. Little does he know, Martha is taking complete advantage of the situation. There came a point where Martha actually had the room rented in her name, and Raphael was staying there for quite a while. Now that Martha has made a break from her home and husband, she's free to indulge all her erotic fantasies. Her new secret life is wildly different from the one she shared with Jeff. Martha, of course, needs to keep this situation with her living lover a secret from her husband because he's paying all the bills. And again, she gets to live in fantasy land. She gets to have her own place with her own man, somebody that nobody else knows anything about. And part of the secretiveness of this feeds that fantasy world. Clearly, she moved out of the house to be with Mr. Roca Perez. And I think the reason was because of a sexual relationship that made her feel exciting or different or younger. Not only was Jeffrey Freeman putting the bill for Martha while she lived in the extended stay motel, he was also, whether he knew it or not, supporting her lover, Rocha Perez, who was living with her. If he knew the truth, that she, not just cheating on him, but has a live-in lover staying with her, while they're allegedly going to work on their marriage and figure things out from there, he would undoubtedly pull the plug on all of the financial support. Soon Martha's so enraptured by the sexual fulfillment she gets with Raphael, she starts to think about how she can escape her old life permanently. She begins to look into filing for divorce. She had no qualms about divorce and would have gotten one if she thought that would benefit her. But Jeff, does not want a divorce. And I think he resisted the divorce based on his religious convictions. Here he is trying to do the right thing by his mentally ill wife. Stick with her, help her through this crisis, make compromises as needed. He doesn't believe in divorce. He is a stand-by-your-woman kind of man. 
and any other person may have bailed by this point, but again, he doesn't want to be the man who checked out on a sick woman. So he hangs in there because he thinks it's the right thing to do. But when Martha realizes that she would lose half of the family business, she quickly reconsiders and decides against divorcing Jeff. The more that she thought about it, she realized that she had a better life with Jeffrey Freeman, who had a good business, who was supporting her and the lifestyle that she was accustomed to. Jeff is still deeply committed to the marriage and holds out hope that they'll be able to get through this rough patch. Jeffrey and Martha, they were communicating back and forth by email. Jeffrey was very caring, understanding, and forgiving man. And he would allow Martha to do a lot of things that most people would not allow in a marriage. As Jeff continues to run the daily operations of the business, all of the bills come across his desk. Then he notices one item on a credit card statement that just doesn't seem right. It lists Martha's room at the Candlewood Suites as double occupancy. <sighs> At some point, he did recognize that he was paying a bill and that it did show more than one person in this room. Jeff has been cuckolded. He finds out from the hotel bill there's two people living in this place. And really, this should be the breaking point in the marriage, all right? He is bent over backwards, and yet he is a good, honorable man. And he can't forget that his wife is mentally ill. She has a get-out-of-jail card. She has an escape hatch for all of her bad behavior. It's the bipolar disorder. But in January 2005, he's finally had enough. Jeff drives over to Martha's hotel and confronts his estranged wife. She finally admits to having an affair with the man who is basically living with her. Jeff is enraged. But after his wife comes clean about her relationship with Raphael, he takes the high road. Jeffrey being that caring person and having a high tolerance for the things that Martha was doing in the marriage, he did care for her and he did want her to come back home. And for whatever reason, he just forgave. Instead of ending the marriage, Jeff begs Martha to come back home with him. Surprisingly, Martha agrees. She promises to end the affair. Unfortunately, because he really does want to believe the best of her, he can blame the mental illness for what's really a character flaw. And he forgives her and wants her to come back home because he keeps thinking they can work this out. Martha Freeman used her mental illness as a crutch and a rationale for some of the things she did. <sighs> Jeffrey Freeman used it as a crutch to blame her behavior on her mental illness. I still feel like he hoped that their marriage would work. Martha Freeman has moved from her hotel playground back into the marital home. Will she use the opportunity to reignite her marriage? Or does she have other, more depraved plans? Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. 
Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover. And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. It is early 2005. After a six-month clandestine affair, Martha Freeman moves back in with her estranged husband, Jeff. Martha tells friends and family that she and Jeff are working on their marriage. To those around her, it seems as if Martha is sincere in her efforts to reconcile. She said to me, well, Regine, I I had an affair and I just needed some time to get my thoughts together. I've worked things out and I really think Jeff and I, we're gonna make a go of it. I saw Martha after she had moved back in. She had told me that she was back together with Jeff. They were working on their marriage. Things were a lot better and that they were going to church together. She seemed happy. Didn't occur to me that she was still having an affair. But she is. What Jeff doesn't know is that when she returns to their marital home, Martha is not alone. She's bringing along her young lover, Raphael. She and her husband were not sleeping in the same bedroom, even though they were trying to reconcile. And she was keeping uh, Mr. Roca Perez in another room in a large closet. She has a perfect solution. They have a big house. They don't have children. Why not just move him into the guest bedroom? He can sleep in the closet. Jeff never goes in there. And then she's just got the best of both worlds under one roof. So the closet becomes her lover's hideaway and makeshift living quarters. And she makes sure that Raphael's closet is fully stocked with all the essentials. Raphael had anything and everything that he needed. AM, FM radio in the closet, small television, things that would entertain him. It was only like two by eight, something like that. You have to understand, Jeff, when I say he worked long hours, I mean he worked long hours. If somebody had the run of the house during the day, basically from 8 in the morning till 9 at night, you certainly could go in one of the rooms and sit quiet and be quiet until Jeff goes to sleep. They had the whole upstairs, and they could move around quite freely. 
During the day, he had the run of the house, watched TV, ate, did whatever. And with Jeff away most of the time, the secret lovers can indulge their illicit desires whenever they want. Now, what the freedom was and how that worked out in the home, I don't know. But I think the arrangement was working for them, and I think it was an arrangement just for the relationship and a sexual relationship at that. By day, she was having romance with this person, and then by night, she pretended to be the good wife to Jeffrey Freeman, who was trying to make their marriage work. And because Martha knows her husband's habits so well, keeping him in the dark isn't so difficult. Martha and Raphael develop a system of warnings and signals for the hours that Jeff is at home. When he was in the home, that he stayed downstairs in the living area, which gave Martha and Raphael the whole upstairs to do anything that they wanted to do. And if Jeffrey started up, then she would hide Raphael into the closet. And at night, if he had to go to the bathroom, she would basically stand guard and make sure that her husband was not coming while he took care of his business. Then all he has to do is wait and be quiet till Jeff gets up in the morning and goes. <laughs> is it crazy? <laughs> but it could be done. I wrestle in my mind how a man can stay in somebody's home and not be detected. How would his day be? But it seemed to work for him that they did not cross paths. For weeks, the bizarre situation continues, and Raphael happily abides by the rules. Living in a two by eight closet, it's not that much different than living in a slightly larger hotel room. He doesn't have expenses. He has someone bringing him food every day. He gets to have sex when he wants it or when she wants it. And as long as he has his Nintendo, and he has his pornography, and he has his food, he has the basic needs that Raphael wants. But this high-wire act of betrayal can only work for so long. On April 10th, 2005, Jeff returns home after work and hears a strange snoring sound coming from one of the spare bedrooms upstairs. When he goes to investigate, he's in for the surprise of his life. It's April 11th, 2005. Martha Freeman has just moved back in with her estranged husband, Jeff. But she didn't return alone. She's hidden her lover, Raphael, away in a closet inside their house, right under Jeff's nose. Now, Martha Freeman's next door neighbor has just called 911. <laughs> A man came in the house and killed her husband! Police arrive at the Freeman house uncertain what they will find. A distraught Martha lets them into the house. She tells them that a man has attacked her husband. I entered the front door, and the first thing you start observing that there's nothing out of place. You're not finding anything. There's no forced entry on the front door itself. Martha leads police up to the master bathroom what they find there is horrifying. That's when you find Jeffrey. He's laying on the bathroom floor. He is partially covered by a sleeping bag, and he's 
face down at this point in time. His head is covered in a plastic trash bag and it's tied down tight around his neck. Jeffrey Freeman is dead. He's clearly the victim of foul play. There was some bruises and, and ligature marks around the wrist and the neck. Jeffrey had to struggle. Cause of death was strangulation and blunt force trauma to the head. My husband called me and told me that there had been a homicide. I was totally in shock and disbelief that our friend Jeff had been murdered. Investigators try to get the story of what happened from Martha, who tells them she saw an intruder kill her husband. Officers assume the intruder has fled the home and is at large. But then, just a few minutes later, a neighbor reports seeing a suspicious-looking man nearby. Another neighbor sees Raphael run through the neighborhood on the streets and goes into a home that's under construction. The police are notified and search the area. After a quick search of the construction site, they find him. When they arrive there, the police come in with their shotguns out. He was actually arrested. He was placed in handcuffs and brought back up to the scene at Incline Drive. Without hesitation, Martha identifies Raphael as the man they're looking for. As soon as he's brought up there, she immediately starts pointing and saying, that's him, that's Raphael, that's the man that killed my husband. But something about Martha's story strikes police as odd. They want to know, who exactly is Raphael, and why would he want to kill Jeff? Then they find a clue. In the spare bedroom closet, they come across a mattress, some food, and a considerable stash of sexual paraphernalia. Inside the home, we found a bag that had lingerie, books on sexual positions. We found a Polaroid of Raphael nude. I characterized it as a bag that a prostitute would carry. But that's not all. By the front door of the house, investigators come across a second piece of crucial evidence, a towel. When they send it into the state lab for DNA testing, the results are nothing short of disturbing. I was able to locate sperm on the towel, and when I did my DNA testing, I was able to find that the DNA from the sperm belonged to Mr. Rafael Roca Perez, and there were some cells there that also belonged to Martha Freeman. Investigators are stunned by this discovery. What exactly is going on in the Freeman home? And what does it all have to do with Jeff's murder? It is April 11th, 2005. Jeffrey Freeman has been murdered in cold blood, and his wife Martha has just fingered her young lover Raphael as the man who killed him. Police have also discovered a bag of sex paraphernalia in a small bedroom closet and a towel with DNA from both Raphael and Martha. They're beginning to wonder how it fits into the strange and horrific murder that took place inside this upscale suburban home. I was able to locate sperm on the towel. When I did my DNA testing, 
In my opinion, I would say that there was sexual activity going on between Martha Freeman and Rafael Roca Perez. The towel was used either during or after sex. I feel that both individuals at some point either used the towel to clean off or were on the towel at some point. This astonishing evidence means that Martha and Rafael had sex very close to the time of Jeff's murder. Confronted with the evidence, Martha admits to an affair with Rafael. But she says she played no part in her husband's murder. Police begin to piece together a timeline of what they think really happened that night in the Freeman's home. We relied on Martha's statement that Jeff usually arrives home on Sunday evening between 8 and 9 PM. But on this evening, he arrived home at approximately 10 PM. Martha tells police that as Jeff unwinds from work, he hears something strange coming from the spare bedroom. Jeffrey comes home, comes into the bedroom, wakes her up, and asks her, why is there a man snoring in the closet? She said, my husband found him and told him to leave or he was going to call the police. Jeff deducts that Raphael is her lover and gives Martha an ultimatum. Then he steps away from the situation to cool off. Jeff, long-suffering, honorable, loyal Jeff, he decides that this man has to go, but he'll make it easy for them, and he'll go for a walk, clear his head, and Raphael better be gone when he comes back. They're the bad ones, and yet they get to stay in the house while Jeff leaves? This probably gives them a sense of power. Raphael may have been thinking, oh, this is it. They're going to lock me up for being here illegally, and I can't let this happen, so I have to do something. Police surmise that when Jeff returns from his walk, Raphael was prepared to do the unthinkable. He violently attacks Jeff and strangles him to death. We do know from the evidence that Mr. Freeman was hit with some object, and then his hands were bound, and he was strangled with a ligature. We felt like she's part of this. One person didn't do this. It took two people to do this. She would tell us that Raphael had cleaned this up, put this in this trash bag, brought it to this location in the home, but was very careful not to include herself in anything. Another neighbor sees her at about 7.30 in the morning on her front stoop smoking a cigarette. Something about her mannerisms is, is causing this neighbor to watch. And then we know that also that same morning, Martha Freeman calls the business, Resifax, and tells one of the employees that Jeff isn't going to be into work today because he's not feeling well. Martha fills all the gaps in, in her own words, with her actions, from walking the dog, to leaving the home, to go to the drugstore, to taking a nap, to eating dinner. And this is multiple times that all this is happening. And each time when she comes back home, Raphael's still there. If you believe her story, she's had multiple opportunities to call for help. I heard a bam, bam, bam. I opened my door, and Martha says, a man killed my husband. 
and I said, have you called 911? She said, no. And I just turned and ran for my phone. 